This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Welcome to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. I'm so glad you're joining us today. This is your host, Tim Link, back for another great episode. And we've got one of my all-time favorites on here. You'll know him. You'll love him. He's a uh, New York Times bestselling author. Uh, He's got a series of number one New York Times bestselling books. He's, of course, the author of the Chet and Bernie mystery series and the Bowser and Birdie series. So we'll talk to him a little bit about that. It's our good friend, Spencer Quinn. And Spencer's going to come on and talk to us a little bit about his latest book of Mutts and Men. And then we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the ins and outs of the books, the characters, everything to expect without giving all the juicy uh, good bits away. And then, uh, of course, then we'll talk to him about uh, his writing and his skills and, and how things have changed uh, in all this uh, pandemic and uh, coronavirus. See if there's any shifts in a writer's uh, writing and uh, publicizing the book. So that's going to be interesting to hear. So everybody, just hang on tight. We're going to come back right after this commercial break. You're listening to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. She's a purebred, orange and white, Brittany. But when we adopted April, she started scratching like crazy. I said, what you put into a dog is what you get out. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. So we added a huge scoop of Dynavite in her bowl. She looked it clean. She loved it. Her coat is now soft. It's silky. Dynavite is nutrition. You get some Dynavite. How happy your dog will be. On Dynavite. She's Little Miss Hollywood. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Joining me now is the best-selling author of the uh, Chet and Bernie Mystery Series and the number one New York Times best-selling Bowser and Bernie series for the uh, middle grade readers. You know Amy, love him. It's Spencer Quinn. Spencer, welcome back on the show. Thanks for having me. Really nice to be here. Oh, it's great to hear your voice. Great to uh, see the the book and all the exciting things going on. And the latest is called "Of Mutts and Men." So, it tell is. yeah, tell us a little bit about the book and uh, maybe some of the things uh, we can expect. They're a little bit different, or uh, would intrigue us about it. Well, for people who don't know, the Chet and Bernie Mystery Series is a traditional kind of private eye series where the sidekick tells the story in the first person. The big difference is that Chet is the sidekick, Bernie is the detective, and Chet is a dog. But he's not a talking dog. This is the key to the whole series. He's a narrating dog, but he can't talk. He's as canine as I could make him. And because of that, he has a, he's limited in some ways and he's unlimited in others. And so there's a whole kind of mash that takes place with traditional aspects of this kind of mystery are kind of turned upside down and moved around. And it's certainly made it very interesting for me as the writer. And that's one of the many things I love about your writing in this particular series, also the Chet and Bernie series, is because, you know, there are a lot of great writers out there and a lot of great books that where the dog is talking and narrating. Uh, there's a lot of other ones where you have a, a human lead and then have a sidekick or a secondary character as uh, the dog or the cat or whatever the animal is. And you sort of, you know, mastered the way of, of blending both where you put Chet in charge, but yet he is, you know, your traditional dog per se, you know, he's not the uh, talking dog, though he does get a a lot accomplished and definitely leads the charge. Yes, well, he's a narrating, okay, if you, 
you know, know dogs or have had dogs in your life, you know they've got a narrative going on in their head all the time. They're obviously having thoughts. They're obviously having emotions. They're complex. And that's really what I try to get on the page. Then when you look at it from a sensory viewpoint, you know, we humans, you know, we're so visual. The sense of sight is paramount and the others are kind of, well, certainly in, in Chet's eyes, the others are kind of puny in us. Well, in him, probably vision is number three. You'd have to say smell and hearing are way much, much stronger. So his whole perception of the world and everything that's going on is filtered through these other senses first. And so he, his take is very different from Bernie's or any of the other humans in the story. And when, when you put that into a mystery, parts of the mystery are almost, although he can't do the logic part, because of his senses, he can figure out or he just knows things that are going on. For example, he can kind of sense when someone's lying or just on a very simple thing. If someone has a gun on them that's recently been fired, well, Chet knows. And if they say, no, I have no gun, Chet knows they're lying right away. So it's made it very interesting for me, too, to just try to imagine what the world is like if you change the order of the paramountcy of our of our different senses. So that's one of the fun things about it. Of Mutts and Men is the actually, I never knew this was going to happen, but of Mutts, that we would go this far. Of Mutts and Men <laughs> is the 10th book in the series. Wow. Um, yeah. So it's now what you'd call a fairly long series. And one of the challenges I think that a lot of writers have faced in a very long series is how do you keep your, how do you keep the energy of it? I'm sure you've most of the listeners have, you know, they've read a, you know, the number of the first book in a series and loved it. And then they couldn't wait to get their hands on the second and they liked it a lot. And the third one they kind of liked and that's kind of it. And it's, it's because the energy ran out. Well, I find, and how do you put the energy in there? How do you force energy? I think in terms of writing good fiction, that's impossible. I think once you, no matter how much technique you have, I think that once you begin to have to force it, you know, to put it on some kind of amphetamines, you're, the reader will spot that every time. And, and even though it'd be hard to analyze it and say, okay, here's a, a chapter where obviously he ran out of gas or here or here, the feeling of it is there and it'll be on every page. Well, with this, I love writing in this voice of Chet so much and I love to get back to it when I start a new book, that it really hasn't come up for me. So I've, I haven't had to face that problem. And so other things have, have been able to happen in the series. One, I think the depth of the relationship between Chet and Bernie has grown a lot. And I think that the relationships between the different recurring characters have also grown a lot. So for me, it's actually been a blessing. But one thing I should add, the title of Mutts and Men is not my title. Over on Chet's Facebook page, we invited reader participation, and there must have been 100 great titles that came in, but this is the one that, that fit the book the most. Ah, that's great. Well, that's wonderful. We're keeping the uh, audience not only entertained and connected through the book, uh, social media, but also now they've got a stake in it. So, you and know, they have a stake in it, yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, question is, did you have to cut them in on the royalties? That would be the real question. <laughs> no. So, what they do, I think what the, whoever came up with it got, it was either a signed hardcover of the last Chet and Bernie, which was Heart of Barkness, or they got a signed 
advanced reader copy of Of Mutts and Men. They might have gotten both, actually. Um, and their name was mentioned prominently, etc. That's great. That's but I great. think people enjoy it. People like to, and it's been a blessing to me too. People like to be part of it. And and you know, over on Chet's Facebook page, for example, there's a friend of the month every single month. A random number generator picks people send in pictures of their dogs all the time, and and not just dogs, but cats and gerbils you get, and some kind of little toy animals. Snakes have come in and birds. And so the random number generator picks the Chet's friend of the month. And that friend is the profile pick for the month. And the, the friend's human companion gets a signed copy of the latest Chet and Birdie novel. That's one little thing we do there. So actually tomorrow, well, soon, there'll be a new one. There you go. Well, everybody, definitely take a look at that and uh, follow the page on Facebook for sure. Definitely. It was interesting what you talked about the energy, uh, going into the energy. How do you keep that pace? How do you keep people engaged? And I found it really interesting, your comment and the fact that we know that in a series, you've got to keep everybody engaged, got to keep it fresh. And you gotta have good energy that comes across on on the pages. But you had also said, you know, you have you get excited, you have the energy. So would you say your energy comes through your writing and then it gets relayed over to the fans? Yes, I really think that's true. I really think that's true. And again, I think that's what can't be faked. It it's either there or not. Now I'm not saying that all good books have to have it even, but I certainly think in something like the mystery form where pace is very important. But at the same time, if you're like me, you don't want to do a mystery that's just all about reversals and pace. You want to have characters that are believable, settings that are interesting, and even thematic material, which most mysteries probably don't have, but that I insist on in mind. So what I mean by that, I don't just mean that that the book has a kind of beating heart, a spirit. Now, lots of books don't have that either. But in Chet and Bernie, there is, and it's very obvious what it is. It's, it's the love between Chet and Bernie. So just as an aside, I was at a writer's conference once where someone in the audience said, what do you do about writer's block? And the other two writers on the stage, you know, bemoaned it and said, oh, it's, it's terrible. And it's, you know, just dogs, dogs us, as it were. And I said, you know, the truth is I've never had it because if I ever get to a point where I'm not sure where to go, I step back and I think of that beating heart, the engine that's driving the story, and some narrative route always suggests itself. And so with this series, it's the love between Chet and Bernie, and I just I step back and I think, okay, love between Chet and Bernie, whatever's coming next in terms of actual events in the plot has to connect to that beating heart, the love between Chet and Bernie, and some route suggests itself and and off I go. Now, I'm not saying this is easy because writing is hard work and, you know, you, know, you just have to, because you're getting a story on the page, but, but you then have to, it has to be polished. It has to, you don't want to have sloppiness or words that are repeated or tiny little things like that. And, and you want the dialogue to never just be explanatory, you know, where it's being expositive, where you're just explaining what's going on in these chunks of wooden dialogue. I like to have all that exposition folded in as seamlessly as possible into the story so that the reader doesn't even know consciously that they're picking up the facts that will allow them to understand it. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think that the misconception for those that, you know, when you take a look at all the writers out there, especially all the fiction writers out there, there are a chunk, but not a large quantity of excellent writers that have a series. You know, you want to, you think, okay, if I put this fiction book together, number one, then maybe I'll get the contract for the next two or three. And then if I'm blessed, it goes on and on. And so the paychecks keep coming in and things are good. But the challenge I find is the fact that it's not easy to get a series. And secondly, it's not easy to maintain it like you had mentioned. You know, How do you keep it fresh? How do you keep it interesting? How do you not bemoan it thinking, eh, I want the paycheck, but yet you know, I'm on series <laughs> number four or five. And then the biggest thing I always find with the series is you know, people think, well, that it's easy. You've got one or two key characters. You add one or two new ones. You add a new mystery twist. Voila, you're good to go. But that's not the case because there's a lot of research and those fans will keep you honest. If you forget a character or change something in there that the character didn't do in the past or you, God forbid, kill off a character that they love, then you're in big trouble as a writer. Oh, yes. Now, okay. so two things. Those are all excellent points. But two things. When I began, the first book was Dog On It, and I believe it was a two-book contract, so you couldn't really call that a series. So I didn't know what was going to happen. Like you, you know, you put it out into the marketplace, and and you're no longer the captain. You know, you're on board, but plenty of things are happening that are are not, you know, under your control. Right. So people seem to like it, and I, well, two things. I love writing. I can't ever imagine having a life where I'm not doing it. Um, because I've written now, I would say probably 40 novels. I've been, you know, my first book came out in 1980, and I just, I can't imagine a life where I'm not, you know, at least most of the year working on, you know, some kind of story. But the second part is I particularly like, it's not just that I like the voice of Chet or the relationship between Chet and Bernie, but I love writing these, setting these tales, most of them in the Southwest. I mean, they're in Arizona, but Chet didn't find out it was Arizona till the sixth book, I don't think. He just thinks of it as the valley. And, but it's really, it's kind of a, where they live, what I wanted was, I wanted a big urban area that's close to absolute wilderness so that Chet could experience both. So it's kind of based on Phoenix, but the vibe is much more like Tucson, I would say. So it's a made-up city called the Valley, but people who know Arizona and, you know, some takes place sometimes in New Mexico or Mexico, I mean, they'll recognize, you know, where we are right away. But I love writing about the desert. And so of Mutz and Men, one of the things about Bernie is he's very environmentally conscious, and he's always worrying about the aquifer, you know, the water problems we have in the desert. So with of mutts and men, this is the way just your normal life plots can come to you. So, you know, I think about the aquifer myself and, and all that. And, you know, in Arizona, there are a few places where they make wine now. And I thought, oh, how interesting. And I began looking into that a little bit. And then about two years ago, I read just a small news story. And it wasn't taking place in Arizona. It was in California in wine country. And it was that the endowment of a huge Northeastern University, not Northeastern, but a huge university in the Northeast, a huge endowment was buying up vineyards in wine country, paying far more than, than they were worth in terms of making wine and selling wine, far more than you could ever get back. And they were doing it kind of quietly. And finally, it occurred to people that 
they were actually, what they're doing is they're actually buying up the aquifer. They're buying up the water underneath. And I thought, oh my God, there's the essence of a story I can do because Bernie's always concerned about the aquifer. And if you're thinking of like a sort of villain, this is an unusual villain because, you know, these are sort of the, you know, people running these big universities right. are kind of, in a way, the most civilized people, supposedly, that we have. So <laughs> the whole idea of a butts and men you know, gelled in that. And then I did some research on aquifers and I found this very cool stuff about perched aquifers and all the kinds of things that could happen. And I had all the science and I knew that hydrologists were going to play a role. So I have dueling hydrologists in a mutt and men. And, you know, I was off to the beginning. That's amazing because of uh, one article tied in a theme, a environmental conscious of Bernie, and you uh, come across that, and all of a sudden you've got you've got everything you need. But you have to do the research too, though. That's I, I love that part of it. You know, people don't realize that you can't just say, oh, "Okay, here, you know, I'm going to throw this out there," because you can't. You have to know the science. You have to be at least dangerous enough. Know just enough to be dangerous when you're talking about this. Because <laughs> one of your greatest fans could be, you know, the king of aquifers. You know, it could be an endowment person. You know, trying to defend themselves in, in their university. Oh no, you're exactly right. So you can't. If you make a tiny mistake, it, like if you say, "Okay, uh, they turned left on First Avenue and parked," da da da. And then you get an email from a reader who said, well, you can't turn left on First Avenue from there. In their heads, they're wondering what else, you know, you got wrong. So, I mean, if I could just digress for a moment to earlier in my career, I wrote a book called The Fan, which was a crime fiction novel that took place in the world of professional baseball. It was later made into a movie with Robert De Niro. But shortly after the book came out, I got a letter from Buzzy Bavese, who at that time was the general manager of the Los Angeles Dodgers, and it was a very short little note. It just said, thank you for getting the baseball right. Uh. And, and that's what you want in all this, that yes, you're just, you know enough to be dangerous, but that you don't mess it up. And that's, you know, that's what you want to do. So I'll be interesting to see what I hear from hydrologists. <laughs> None of whom will be as famous as Buzzy Vivesi, right? But, that's right. That's right. Yeah, I, I yeah. love those names. Well, I'm a huge, huge baseball fan. So I, I know these names you're talking of. And uh, to get a, a note or a letter from one of them is amazing. Well, of course, baseball is important in the Chet and Bernie series, too, because Bernie played. He was, you know, he was in the Army. and He pitched for at West Point. And, um that comes up a lot when they're playing fetch. And in this book, particularly Susie, who Bernie has had an on-again, off-again relationship with, meets this other man who also was a college baseball player. And there's a kind of rivalry scene in the batting cage, in a batting cage, which I you know, was very eager to get to. Right, right. That's fantastic. Well, I love that. So listen, we'll take a quick little break here, uh, but I want to come back and talk uh, further with uh, Spencer Quinn, uh, talk just a little bit more about the uh, latest book of Mutts and Men, and then I want to pick your brain a little bit about writing, publicity, these type of things, especially in these uh, volatile times that we're in. So uh, everybody hang tight. We'll come back right after this right. commercial break. You're listening to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Sit. Stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Well, four to be exact. Hi, this is Tim Link, animal communicator and pet expert and host of Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Have you ever wanted to know what your pet is really thinking? Do you want to find out if they truly understand what you're trying to tell them? Ever wish you could build a better understanding and closer relationship with your pet? Well, now you can. 
Learning to Communicate with Animals is a four-part on-demand workshop. In the workshop, you'll learn the essential techniques that are necessary to communicate with animals, including what is animal communication, breathing correctly to achieve the perfect state to communicate with your animals at a deeper level, using guided meditation exercises and method to communicate with animals, and how to send and receive information from your animals. So if you're wanting to learn how to communicate and connect with your animals at a deeper level, visit PetLifeRadio.com forward slash workshop and purchase and download Learning to Communicate with Animals. You'll be glad you did. Talk Pets. Let's Talk Pets. On Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Uh, continue our uh, conversation with number one New York Times bestselling author and uh, just author extraordinary, one of my favorites, Spencer Quinn, and uh, his latest book of Mutts and Men. Uh, now, Spencer, when we uh, when we talk about the book and the characters and these things, and they take a look at the differences in this particular novel part of the mystery series compared to what you've done in the past, for this particular book as well as just the series in general. What do you hope uh, people walk away with? What do you want after they've read this book or say, hey, it's pretty good, or, or maybe I should write him a note because he got the aquifers wrong. But, uh, <laughs> but what do you want them to get out of this book and then just the series in general? What do you hope to accomplish? Okay, well, there are two parts to that. One is like what I'm trying to do, and two is what the reaction of the readers is. So all I'm trying to do is entertain the readers. But entertain is is a complicated thing. The kind of reader I want to entertain is not the kind of reader who's just satisfied with an appetizer or only dessert. I think I want the reader who wants a full course meal with the wine and even a drink after. In other words, they don't feel they've been shortchanged in any of the areas of fiction. So the plot, of course, in a mystery has got to be strong. I mean, if you don't have that in a mystery, no matter how good a writer you are, it's not going to work. But I also want to have real human relationships and animal relationships, too, and a strong sense of setting so that when the reader enters this world, it actually is a world that they can escape into. And I don't mean escape in a disparaging way where, you know, you're getting, you know, away from hard things because in the Chet and Bernie books, these are not cozies. They're dark parts. Chet, you know, has suffered at times and had down moments. But the thing about him is that I didn't realize at first and I did get from reader reaction right away was that Chet bounces back to his reset position very quickly. And that reset position is one of joy in life. And I didn't consciously do that. That was just the way the character was. And readers point to it over and over, and they, I didn't intend this, but I get this reaction a lot, that people who've, going through hard times, you know, or even health things or bereavement, people have, like, sort of turned to the, some people have turned to the Chet and Bernie books and really found that world a bit helpful. Now, that was humbling to me. I, of course, did not intend that or attempt to do it. And I think any attempt to do that would be doomed. But it's been wonderful to get like the emails and, you know, messages, you know, stating that from them. So, but basically to answer the question, I just want them to be able to immerse themselves in a believable world. It has good and bad in it, but ends in a hopeful kind of way. 
And I think that's sort of my uh, attitude toward real life as well. That's a wonderful attitude. I mean, especially in times we, we talk about, uh, you know, that we're going through right now. Obviously, I, I don't mm. usually talk about present times politics. You know, I, I want this episode to be heard many, many years from now. But everybody will reflect back uh, to this particular episode. And, and obviously, the nation and the world is going through a pandemic, mm-hmm. COVID-19, that, um, you know, it's got all kinds of ups and downs and people's opinions on it and what they should do and shouldn't do or won't do or will do, these type of things. So as a writer, obviously, I imagine this book, you had it pen and paper or, or computer to screen, however we do it, pretty much done and dusted before all this happened with the pandemic. Yes, um, yes, that's true. But I'm working on the next one right now, and it's almost finished. And that one I've been writing through the pandemic. So as a writer, you know, I work, I have an office over the garage, so basically at home. So I didn't have to change any big habits about that. The other thing is I love riding my bike. So outdoors, so I've been doing that. You know, I ride maybe an hour a day. I live on Cape Cod, and there's a beautiful bike path right near me, or I just go on the roads. And and so that I had that physical, the physical part of my life didn't really change all that much. I still got the exercise that I really like to have. Uh, tennis shut down, so I missed that. The gym shut down, and of course restaurants, bars, all that kind of thing. But I was able to these two important parts of my life, the work and, you know, my bike rides, those I continued with as before. Having said all that, I think it's almost like there's a, a feeling in the air, you know, which, which goes back to, you know, the plague and, and what people, when they had no idea what the plague really was, nevertheless, they thought it was a miasma in the air, you know, that they, and, you know, they burned things to try to clean the air and everything. And I, even though we know that's not what this is, I still kind of have felt the whole time a strange, just a strangeness in the air. Obviously, it's all psychological, but I think that's affected me. I think it slowed me down in this book a slight maybe 10%. I noticed this one's going a little more slowly, not a whole lot, but some. And so, you know, I'm not complaining or anything like that. But I'm, I, I think despite the fact that I haven't really had to change much in terms of my work, it still affected me to a degree. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that's the, the fascinating part about it, you know, uh, because, you know, how do you turn this negative into a positive? That's the way I always am trying to look at it. And uh, like you, you know, I, I, I'm mostly working from home and uh, working with clients still uh, around the world. That hasn't changed. I now have a better excuse not to hit the gym. So that's good news <laughs> for me. That works out all right. But, but it's that mental aspect that, you know, you can't help but not be aware of what's going on and feel it around you. And then, uh, you know, uh, the news, for instance. I, I was never a big fan of the news, stayed away from the news, uh, watched the last minute and a half of the National News Network because that's the happy time when they tell the one good story that's out yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. Um, but now you, you have to, you know, you almost, even if you don't want to watch it and be aware, you have to because you don't know what's going on in your world or, or everything around you and, and the work that you do. And as a writer, I imagine it does have some mental impact on uh, what you're trying to accomplish. 
Well, yes, and you can't, well, you know, it's, as a citizen, you, sh- you have to be responsibly knowledgeable to an extent. But, you know, I, as a writer, I can't let it block me or weigh me down too much. I mean, that's, I really have to strike a, I mean, you could, you know, with this COVID, I mean, you could just, you could, you know, bury yourself in it and the numbers and, you know, and the uh, emotions and all the conflicts that's erupted. Unfortunately, you know, we can't say that this has been a unifying event as, you know, in the past, like, you know, terrible events like World War II in our country were pretty much a unifying event. This, this has not been. And I think that's part of the oppressive feeling, too, that, you know, just a, an unneighborly kind of yeah. thing is, is going on, I'd say. Yeah, I think that the take I have on everything going on right now is when is this all going to end? Yeah, you know, it's, it's every yeah. We're we're talking about it. We're in a pandemic. We've got the uh, you know Black Lives Matter coming to the forefront and all the things there. The political environment. We're right in the middle of a uh, you know national campaign to select the next president in November. You just got a whole series of things that you're like, my goodness, when is this all going to end? And, and will we ever get back to being combined, supporting each other again? And I think that you hit it on early on. That's one of the goals that you have in in the books as well as in life is to to uh, get everybody back together, forget about things for a while, enjoy things, uh, be together. And uh, I think you do a good job with the books. Well, thanks. I mean, I'm optimistic in the long term. That would be my take. And I miss sports on TV dreadfully. That's an, I, I can't, <laughs> It's not that I watched tons, but I always watched a little. You know, yeah. I just, yeah. uh, you know, and now it's not there. You know, it's like this TV is like this useless box to me now. <laughs> it's, it's amazing because, you know, we talked a, a little bit earlier about baseball. You know, it's like, okay, even when now baseball is going to be starting supposedly here right around the corner by the time this, uh, everybody, all the fans are listening to this. We should have baseball. Yeah, yeah. Toes crossed. We'll see what happens, see if we can get through it. But even then, when we talk about the world being divided, baseball has spent the past month arguing about finances more than they have about the uh, COVID and keeping it's everybody a bad out. look for baseball. Very bad look right before we go into yeah. some labor negotiations. And yeah. uh, so I'm trying to get my head around that, not being uh, irritated at them not getting things on board sooner and taking that opportunity. They could have had a whole month of June to themselves and got the fans really on board with them. And now it's kind of divided and we got this you know, 60 whole games. It reminds me of my uh, time I spent as a semi-pro baseball player. We played probably about 60 games a year. <laughs> that was about the, the extent of it. And all I worried about was staying healthy until the next year. Uh, and then the batting average, of course. But but uh, yeah, even with baseball, I, I miss that too. And then it's going to be strange. No fans in the stadiums. Will we have uh, cut out cardboard uh, fans like they've done in uh, Korea and some of the Asian countries? <laughs> Uh, I saw a, a, a photo. I can't remember if it was the Metropolitan Opera House. Um, forgive me. I can't remember where it was. But anyway, the stage was set, and in the seats were actually plants. You know, like uh, <laughs> I don't know if poinsettias or what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Poinsettias. But yeah, that was your audience. So yeah, I'm like you, not to to, to diverse too far. But um, I'm being really interesting to see how the uh, sports environment and will that be one of the factors? Can we all come together? Can we? You know, will that be yeah, one? No, of the for sure. Around. And can my Cincinnati Reds win it all? That would be the big question. <laughs> that, no, that's a huge question. Yes, that's a right. big yeah, question. Yeah, yeah. For yeah, once, yeah. they've got the team. They went out and spent some money, and uh, now they, they're all sitting there. Uh, they can't even uh, – I, I guess they're allowed to chew bubble gum, but they can't spit it out on the yeah, ground. But, yeah, but yeah it's going to be interesting. <laughs> for sure. 
All right. So everybody, uh, go pick up a copy of the book. Fall in love with it. I, I love the thing. Uh, one last thing about the, the series. Obviously, you can start with this book. You know, if you lived under a rock and you don't know Spencer Quinn's books and Chet and Bernie, you can pick up his book, enjoy it, catch it, get on board with it, and you won't miss a thing. Then you can go back and get all the, the previous books. Thanks. And, oh, yes. I, I should have said, yes. Thanks for doing that. They can be read in any order. Absolutely. And that's yeah. the, the brilliance of it. And you're going to love it once you get it. So the latest of Mutts and Men, it's a Spencer Quinn, uh, Chet and Bernie mystery series. Spencer, great talking to you again. It's lovely to hear your voice. Kudos to big success out there. And uh, I know it's uh, trying times, but I know this book's going to be a, an overwhelming success and you just keep doing your thing. Well, thanks very much. I enjoyed it a lot. You're a great interviewer. Uh, appreciate it. Appreciate it. All right. Well, we're coming to the end of our show today. I want to thank everyone for listening to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. I want to thank the uh, producers and sponsors for making this show possible. Uh, if you have any questions, comments, or ideas for the show or people you want to hear on uh, the show, drop us a line. Visit PetLifeRadio.com. Send us an email, and we'll definitely answer your questions, entertain your comments, and bring on the people you want to hear from most. There we go. And while you're there, check out all the other wonderful, uh, great shows, great hosts on Pet Life Radio. There's a uh, cornucopia of great entertainment there. So take a look at that. So until next time, write a great story about the animals in your life. Put it in a uh, blog, a magazine, an article, or in a book. And who knows, you may be the next guest on Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Have a great day. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. <laughs>